Well, aloha and good morning. Thanks so much for tuning in and starting your week with us. It is a new week. It is a new month, February 1st. This is Spotlight Hawaii. I'm Ryan Kalei joined by Yanji Denise. And today we will be speaking with Lieutenant Governor Josh Green on the state's efforts to continue the vaccine rollout here in Hawaii and a few other matters related to COVID-19. Yeah, we're always excited to talk to Dr. Green. He, of course, spearheaded the Safe Travels program and he is handling the vaccine rollout for the state. Uh, those two are going hand in ha hand in the news right now. Uh, we want to start, of course, with the vaccine. Uh, Lieutenant Governor, if you could start us off with where we are in terms of vaccination numbers and how that effort's going. Thank you. Thank you for welcoming me, me back. Uh, so we're 151,558 shots have been given. We're now accelerating to the point where we can do over 10,000 shots a day, uh, over 50,000 a week. And you can see how that will pile up really nicely. We have 243,800 doses in state by midweek this week. And so we're really accelerating through our supply and getting it out best we possibly can equitably to all of our state based on population. So we're rocketing upward. By the end of February, I expect we'll have 350,000 doses given. And if we can get Johnson & Johnson approved, which I'm almost certain it will get approved, it gives us another um, arrow in our quiver to go after COVID. So all of these things are, are extraordinary. We're quickly uh, advancing ahead of most other states. The data comes in a little slower for us, but that's a fact. We are doing better than most. And I'm very intent on getting us through the 1B category as quickly as we can. That's 75 plus uh, age. Also, those who are front-facing essential frontline workers. We do that and we become a lot more uh, protected. A lot of this ties into policy that we'll talk about, but at the same time, we've been fortunate because people have been such great partners. We've seen our, our counts drop. We're down to 90.7 uh, cases per day on average over the last seven days. Today's count was 90, 90. And our positivity rate's now down to 2.13%. It's been dropping really steadily, and on Oahu, the number is at 2.47%. So you see that these are the things that we have to do. We, we've also got our hospital counts down into the 60s, so the number of people in the hospital with COVID. So all these trends have been great, although not without a lot of blood, sweat, and tears from Department of Health and General Hara and their team and everybody out there. My goal, and I'll wrap up this initial statement, my goal is to get us vaccinated as fast as possible get into 1C where we get as many uh, 65 to 74 year olds also vaccinated. And we use this analytic to open our state up by getting vaccinated and then only allowing individuals to bypass any of our safe travels by also being vaccinated. You see how that safety goes hand in hand. Uh, I do think it will become the national standard before long. We're still waiting on some approvals from Department of Health and the Gov, but the proposals have been made uh, the national folks believe this is going to likely be something we can do. And Hawaii is, is poised, poised to emerge faster from the COVID lockdown than any other state. Uh, but we have to do it safely and we have to protect our kupuna. We've got a lot of information there to unpack. We want to start off with something that the governor had mentioned last week, just saying that the state has a capacity to distribute. The biggest problem was just getting Vax, uh, the vaccine here on island because of the demand nationally and with the slowdown that they're seeing on the national level. Uh, what are you seeing in terms of the rollout in, ter in terms of what is being provided to the state locally from the national level? And what is those, wh how are those numbers expected to increase, you think, over the next few weeks? Great question. So last week we got 32,000 doses in. This week we got 40,600 doses in. 
So it's boosting. The Moderna uh, vaccine numbers are about to go way up. We're about to get a much bigger supply, we're told, on Moderna. And then when the Johnson & Johnson is added, we can again supersurge it. It would be great to get another 20 or 30,000 doses per week. We can do 80,000 shots a week now. We are capable of doing that, yet we're only really going to do about 50,000 because they haven't given us enough uh, to keep up our, you know, our regimen. Remember, of course, people have to get two shots, two shots for the Pfizer, two shots for the Moderna, one three weeks apart, one's four weeks apart. Uh, but that's going to rev up. I think that the Johnson Johnson is going to get approved within two weeks, and then we'll start getting doses right after that. Then the AstraZeneca. And before you know it, if all of this falls into place, which I'm almost certain that the Biden administration wants to see all this stuff fall into place, we could be doubling our capacity to vaccinate people. And so instead of doing 200,000 people a month, we could, I mean, if everything goes perfectly, double that. And now you're talking about getting through our population really quickly. That's why when I suggested we could get to herd immunity sometime this summer, I mean it because I, I do see the tea leaves and the way they're following, falling. And if people are patient, we'll get there. Uh, I want to ask you about that Johnson & Johnson vaccine. We've seen uh, reporting over the weekend that the efficacy does not nearly match that of the ones that are available right now. So um, just as a layperson looking at that, I would think, okay, well, I prefer to get Pfizer and Moderna. Do I have any say once that's approved? And, and if, you know, why should I take what I can get as opposed to holding out for the others? Great question. I, anyone should choose the vaccine they want. And, and also, if they don't want to get vaccinated at all, though I strongly recommend you do, uh, I got vaccinated as a healthcare worker, uh, you, you should take whichever one you choose. Now, the Johnson & Johnson is only about 66% effective, although it was higher than that in the U.S. and lower than that in Europe. And that's to totally create immunity for a person. However, it did have a big benefit, was, which was I think it blocked as much as 95 to 100% of severe hospitalized or near-death cases. So therefore... What you would expect would be we would use the Moderna and Pfizer on, first of all, anyone who chooses them, but especially on our Kupuna or people who have a high mortality rate. And a lot of people may want the Johnson & Johnson shot for a couple of reasons. Number one, it's just one shot. And that's a big difference. It's a, it's a really great thing to be able to get just one shot. And if you're very low risk, let's say we get to the, or when we get to uh, stage two, which is all people that are any age without any healthcare considerations, maybe even children, the main thing you wanna do is prevent any hospitalizations or severe illness. One shot for that class of people who are already doing very well may very well be their first choice. So it's just another option. Uh, in a perfect world, all of these shots would be 95% and all of them would be as simple as the Johnson & Johnson. But uh, there are just gonna be several options and people should choose what they feel they want best. I want to bring in a question here at Lake Maddow asking, will vaccinated travelers get exempt from testing? Uh, we know that you had mentioned in your opening statement that you've put forth a proposal to change the rules of the Safe Travels Program and with those who have been vaccinated being able to travel uh, more freely into the state. Uh, but we also heard from the governor last week saying that he would wait for uh, guidance from the CDC to make a statement on vaccination and travels. Can you talk to us about what was included in that proposal and how do you foresee this uh, sort of laying out in the next few weeks? Yes, uh, I'm very optimistic that this will become our policy once we get a little more information uh, from the federal government. I've had incredibly positive feedback from the mayors on this matter and Department of Health. So 
we will wait their formal recommendation. But my proposal is the following. When we finish the majority of 1B individuals, which is another, that's 150,000 individuals, uh, including healthcare workers or 1A, Kupuna nursing homes and 1B, which is 75 and older and our essential front facing workers, then we can begin to open up. And instead of having to go through the Safe Travels pretest program, people would be able to travel freely if they are fully vaccinated plus two weeks, the extra two weeks so your immune system has had time to create the antibodies to fight it. All of the data has begun to point that we will be able to uh, be safe with a vaccination plan like that. It's called sterilization immunity. We still have a little bit more to hear, but the buzz right now is that we're moving toward this policy, although we have to get the final word, of course, from the gov and the mayors. I think we'll have something to announce in the next 10 days. The ideal circumstance would be able to do that would be for us to be able to do this because let me be really clear about why it will be safer. First of all, no one else is doing as much as we have been doing with these kind of test protocols, safe travels and what have you. But it's another layer of safety. It doesn't take away the safe travels program for those who just don't want to get vaccinated. They'll still go through the same process. But if people get both shots and have two additional weeks, their immunity is over 94%. It's 94.5% for Moderna, 95% for Pfizer, uh, vice versa. So those will be immune individuals, very low risk that they carry the virus, and we'll still check them for temperature, the questions asked, and so on. But then they wouldn't need that test. So they can plan their trips more appropriately. We can plan our travel to be reunited with our family members more easily, whether we're going to visit our loved ones, like we were talking about before our show, or they're coming to visit us um, from the mainland. This is a win-win for us in Hawaii in every way. And we will also have vaccinated our most vulnerable people. So as we move through 1B and then through 1C, in my opinion, we should really lift all of the extra uh, travel testing rules because this is even safer than that. Uh, we'll still have plenty of tests available, but it also opens up some more testing we can do in-state, whether it's at schools or businesses or what have you. We're going to get through a lot of uh, vaccinations between February, March, and then even April. I mean, a huge majority of our people that want it will be able to take the vaccine by then. So it's just timely, and we do have to get our state back on track. We have to restore some hope for our economy because it's only a matter of time until desperation will set in. And for some, it already has set in. So that's why I'm pushing these proposals. I think they're going to approve them, though. Um, at 10.32, Linnell Marie just had a question. What about the variants? Can you tell us a little bit about what variants might be here in the islands that we know of? Of course, there could be some that are undetected. And when we think about the efficacy of the vaccine, how does that line up with the variants that we're seeing? Great question. So we've had, we've had some uh, a very small number, I believe two cases of the Denmark variant. Uh, that variant also is really kind of caught on in California, and I'm sure that's how we caught it because we have not had travelers from Denmark. As you know, there's a lockdown from Europe, but they have gone to other places and that, that variant is there. It's a little more infectious, but it's not more lethal. We've not, to my knowledge, had any cases of the B117 Great Britain variant. That's the very infectious one. Again, it's not more lethal, but if you catch it and you're elderly, it's, it's potentially lethal under any circumstance. We've also seen uh, lots of testing of these, uh, these genetic, um, the genomes or the genetics of these viruses by our Department of Health. So we're monitoring it real closely. Now, all of the variants appear, appear to be blocked by the vaccine, although the South African variant, which we've not had cases of, uh, may be more problematic. And so it's incumbent upon us 
for those who believe in vaccines to get vaccinated as soon as possible, as soon as you know, I can and Department of Health and Public Safety and everyone else can vaccinate people, it's a good idea to get it because we don't know when these variants are going to land in Hawaii. Uh, they eventually will be in every corner of the world on some level. So we're going to rely on, for safe travels purposes, we're going to make sure people get vaccinated on the mainland to give us extra buffers of security and safety. And we're going to have our own people vaccinated, hopefully 70% or plus, so we get herd immunity in our state so that whatever variant comes, it won't really be meaningful or impactful. Uh, this is a virus that over time is going to keep spreading across the globe in pockets, though it will settle down in late 2021 because the, you know, the option of having a vaccine is being kind of gobbled up by people. Another question that we have from Glenn Moriasu saying Maui COVID counts are still high. Why isn't more vaccines coming to Maui? How was the decision made on how many vaccines are sent to the neighbor islands? Is it based on population? How, how are you leading sort of the efforts to get this out to communities like those on the neighbor island? Uh, it's made purely based on population for fairness purposes. Uh, Maui had 20 cases today. Their average daily count was 18.3 count per day uh, over the last week. Uh, these are unbelievably low counts. I don't, you know, I know that Maui and they deserve to be concerned. Maui had a slightly higher rate than other places, but not compared to anywhere else in the country. And so it's being done as fairly as possible. Also, there's, you know, there's a desire to not show favoritism because you can imagine if favoritism were shown and Oahu, which has tends to have a lot more input from government and so on, uh, certainly much larger numbers, it could overwhelm all of the neighbor islands, which is where I'm from on Big Island and where this person's calling from Maui. And then there'd be no vaccine at all for the for the rural communities or the neighbor island communities because they would be overwhelmed by the the demand of the million people that are on Oahu. So it's got to be done fairly. So it's done based on population. Uh, the hospitalizations have dropped quite precipitously. I will share with you that the number of people in Maui Memorial Hospital is 14 individuals with COVID right now, which is a pretty small number. It's half of what's at Queens. Uh, so we're trying hard to knock the virus down, but we can't show favoritism one way or another. If there is an outbreak though, like in a housing project or something, the director of health will authorize quick vaccination of that small cluster to stop it. And that could be a housing project. It could be a, um, an institution like a long-term care facility, lots of different options for the Department of Health. Um, at 1039, Andrea Novak says, how about the hotel workers? When do we get vaccinated? We are front-facing workers. So what's, um, what's kind of difficult for some people, I know I myself am in this boat, where you don't really know where you fall into. The, the category of essential worker is so broad. If you look at, uh, I was looking back at some of the governor's initial orders and you know people who were exempted from certain activities, they could be in real estate, they could work in uh, certain retail, they could be journalists like Ryan and I, um, and they are quote unquote essential. How do you know where you fall in those categories? Is that something that your doctor will determine or who's actually making that call once we get out? Of, I mean, it's very clear, healthcare workers, of course, uh, emergency workers, of course, people over 75. But once we get into the broader essential worker category, how do we know when it's our turn? Sure. So massive announcements should be forthcoming. Uh, health uh, hotel workers are 1B. The prioritized, quote unquote, prioritized healthcare uh, folks and first responders were at the top of 1B, but hotel workers are in 1B and there's some method to this madness. And that is that as extra travelers come, 
we don't want, uh, even if they are vaccinated, we don't want extra risk of any kind to be spread where there's a lot of activity. Same can be said of grocery workers. They are also uh, in 1B. And some of this is being clarified as we speak. In fact, at 5.30 this morning, uh, the co-chair and I on the subcommittee were talking and sharing our new memo for the, for the director of health. So there's more expansive guidance. People in the industries will reach out to their own folks. Uh, so the hotel organization, like the Tourism and Lodging Association, will be able to share that with all of the hotels. And they'll make the determination for which individuals are most front-facing, less than six feet apart from people with some frequency, and could catch it. Other people that are in that 1B category, uh, transportation workers, people that have to work at the airports, individuals that work in the harbors that are essential because they have to keep the harbors open. So there's lots of subgroups there, but the total population in 1B of essential workers is not too large. It's about 50,000 in that category. And then those who are essential workers, but not front facing as much disease risk end up in 1C. So that'll get clarified by each industry. The good news is by ramping up vaccinations in general, we can kind of stream through 1A, B, and C without too much difficulty. That'll be now accelerating because these extra vaccines will come online. I can tell that it is frustrating for people, but the general premise right now is we're vaccinating our kupuna and those who care for our kupuna. So like anyone who has to keep the energy grid together to get food for people, to provide health care for those who are most vulnerable, also we're getting vaccinated. Then the list expands and expands. And the last group to get vaccinated, last two groups will be people who are totally healthy and young, and then children once that's approved by the, by the companies and the research is done. If we play our cards right, and these, these additional vaccines come online, which they will, by midsummer, everyone will have been offered a vaccine if they would like one, and much sooner, you're talking about February, March, April, for anyone who's kind of in the essential workforce. I want to stick on that topic of Kupuna because there is some discussion and questions coming in from how do we categorize the age limit for those who should be receiving this? Of course, some are saying in, in other states, 65 and older is the requirement. Here in Hawaii, we're saying 75. How is the determination on the age specification of Kupuna? And when would we see that level or that number dropping down to those who are maybe younger? So we started with the initial federal advice, which was 75 and older, and then it, they moved the they moved the goalposts a little bit on us uh, a couple weeks later. It was purely based on the amount of vaccine that we had coming into the state. If you look at the first couple weeks, we got a lot less vaccine. We got like 3,500 doses in the first week, and then it ramped up a little bit and a little bit. But we have 109,000 kupuna who are 75 and older, and then we have 148,000 individuals that are 65 to 74. So it was purely based on the amount that we had available. And I would mention that everyone in the 1B category, if anyone is older, we're erring on the side of getting those individuals. If it's like a 67-year-old individual that's still working at a hotel or uh, doing any number of jobs, actually, that are in these categories, first responders, that those folks would get uh, you know, kind of a preferred place because they're also older and essential workers. I think that we will be moving uh, pretty rapidly to the 1C category just in the next few weeks. Wouldn't be shocked at all if that's our theme for March. And all of the individuals in 1C that are 65 to 74 will be prioritized there. So you can see as just February, March, April kind of come and go, we're going to be moving quickly into that 65 to 74 category. If we had just put everybody in and we had a, a, a category from 65 up right off the bat, 
it wouldn't have changed anything except that it would be that much harder for for 75 plus people to get vaccinated because they're at a small disadvantage because they don't use as much technology can't sign up as easily and so the the basic rate of risk is so high if you're 75 plus for hospitalization or mortality you know, dying we wanted to make sure we focus there more than anything uh, this is a similar question, but on the chronic health conditions, um, how do you know if you have a qualifying chronic health condition? And is that something that, you know, I know that in some states, it's basically the honor system. You say, yes, I have this and you and you can qualify. Or is here in Hawaii, is this something that your doctor will make the determination? How do we know? It wouldn't be bad to reach out to your physician, but I do believe it will be the honor system. There's a lot of privacy issues here. And uh, it's very difficult to ask someone and shouldn't be asked. Do you have HIV AIDS, for example? Uh, do you have leukemia? Do you have um, out of control diabetes putting you at a great risk? So we will have to have some of the honor system. And for the most part, I mean, a huge majority of people will be honorable about that. Uh, there may be some cases where people will perhaps hop the line, uh, but I think it's gonna be pretty rare. And frankly, individuals who might otherwise hop the line, they're probably gonna be more inclined to get the simpler uh, vaccines like the one shot Johnson Johnson, that's a shot I would not really recommend for someone who's got more severe risk and has severe chronic disease and, and should get the two shots, which are, you know, a lot more effective. So there will be some honor system going. I mean, of course you can't fudge your age, not, not easily. Uh, but I think you can rely on people's honor. And again, once we can get up to 300 or 400,000 shots a month, it will be a moot point. It will be mass vaccination sites plus pharmacies plus your doctor's office eventually. So it shouldn't be that hard. Keep in mind that we we have 1.4 million people. We will probably be lucky if we get to 900,000 individuals vaccinated total, which is somewhere between 1.6 or 1.5 and 1.8 million shots because the, the Johnson Johnson is just one shot. So not everyone will require two shots. Once we're doing 400,000 vac vaccine shots a month, look how fast you get there. Uh, almost faster than you, you can ask people to come in because they have to take a three or four week pause between their shots. So I think that it's going to be a spring of vaccinations for people. I know that um, the Biden administration is gonna make this their kind of their moonshot, their top priority out of the gate. And it comes to all of mankind's benefit that, that this is what everyone's focused on because we can stop COVID by this summer uh, with the vaccination uh, process. I want to pivot just a little here and talk about the reopening of our economy and you know, le uh, maybe loosening some of the restrictions that were placed in the current tier system here on the, uh, in, in, on the island of Oahu. Uh, Mayor Blangiardi expressed some interest and, and made some comments last week about looking to reopen bars, which we know under the current tier system is listed in tier four. And uh, he's looking at allowing bars to open as well as maybe including the uh, playing of sports for students, youth sports and group sports. Wanted to get your thoughts on that. Do you think that this is something that we are ready to move forward with, given the circumstances that we're currently under? Well, we're certainly getting a lot closer to being able to do uh, big openings. We only had 57 cases on Oahu today. And with a 2.13% positivity rate statewide, our numbers are coming down into the place that Oahu wants to be. I don't like second guessing the mayors. They get mad. I learned that from other mayors in the past. And so I really want them to make their own decisions. But 
I will say that I have proposed once we get through the 1B that we can move universally out of some of the more restrictive tiers. I absolutely think that once we've gotten past 1B, we should open up high school sports. Uh, bars have taken it on the chin. You know, it, their industry has been closed and we should provide more support for any industry, uh, more subsidies if they have to pay their rent, pay their liquor license, pay all these costs that any number of industries have had to do. So I'd like to see them open. But that's why when you get through the high risk groups and they're vaccinated, you don't have as much to worry about. Because even if there are cases, the cases will be in 20 to 30 year olds who don't end up sick enough to go into the hospital. They just have to take 10 days of quarantine away from society. So that's a long way of saying, yes, I think that we can relax the tier systems in the coming weeks. I think that the mayors need to, to ask the gov and vice versa. And I don't think it's my place to get in between um, those two important uh, groups. But my feeling is that as we finish two, uh, 1B, we'll be fine. We'll be basically safe as a society. And when we do the additional 65 to 74 year olds, I don't really fear COVID then as a society any longer. So that's when pretty much any gathering that you want to do should be considered. Wait, I, I want to get some clarity on that. So you're saying, and, and when when are we projecting to get through, what, what's the threshold for you to say that we can any gathering can be considered? Can you go over that again? I, my personal feeling is that by about May 1st, at this rate of vaccinations, we will have vaccinated uh, all of 1B, all of 1A, of course, which is virtually done now, and the majority of 1C, which will be elderly individuals, 65 to 74, and those with chronic disease. So now you will be left only with people of minor risk, and we will also have the extra protection, presuming that the plan I've proposed goes through, and it's very likely, where people who come to Hawaii will have that additional benefit of being immunized before they pass through the Safe Travels program. The strong majority of people will be in that category. So come May 1st, when we're that safe, we should really be thinking about having large events. Now, we should still do it smart. We should still have masks. We should have people. We shouldn't have them huddled together like sardines. But we will be very safe then as a society. And those who remain somewhat vulnerable are not very vulnerable at all from a healthcare standpoint. They may be vulnerable to catch it. You're talking about 30-year-olds that otherwise have you know, very little risk of getting severely ill, utterly low probability. And even then, we'll be seeing the earliest parts of herd immunity because we'll be over half of our population vaccinated. Remember, there's about 400,000 people in the 1C category. So if you look at the analytics on this, you got 50,000 people in 1A, you have 150,000 people in 1B, and you have about 400,000 people in 1C. When you get through the majority of these categories and you land on May 1st, your society is pretty well safe. And so I hope sometime around then that the mayors have the opportunity to petition for much larger events like weddings. And um, I don't know if you want to have giant football games, but certainly high school sports long before that should be considered. And, and that would also include, you know, our, that when you say May, I'm thinking graduation season. Could you imagine people getting together for potlucks again, people um, gathering in restaurants? But you're also saying that is somewhat adjusted. You still would advocate for masks. I mean, what does that look like on a day to day level? Masks look like um, a, a reality for us through the better part of 2021. For one thing, even though I did espouse a belief that people will go in the honor system for the vaccinations, I know a lot of people that will say, hey, stop bugging me. I got my vaccine. Uh, I don't need to wear a mask. And so I do think people should still wear masks out 
when around others in public. Uh, but I think those rules will get relaxed once we get herd immunity, which will come surely by the fall. Yes, a large part of why I'm pressing so hard and why I'm such a pain in the neck on this for some of my colleagues is because I think that we have to be careful about missing additional societal-wide milestones like graduations this coming year. So if we can get our society vaccinated for the most part, and we can still be somewhat smart by you know, wearing masks if it's a graduation party and what have you, we'll be safe. And even if, even if there are outbreaks, it won't be among our kupuna. And that's very important because you can see our hospital numbers have already begun to decline. Imagine how low they'll be once most people who are vulnerable are vaccinated. So that's my optimism. And I think it's time we restored hope for our society in a much broader way. And that's kind of the linchpin of, of why I'm, I'm pushing for this, uh, this policy, as long as we can do it safely. I don't want people to think we're going to rush. If we push through the vaccinations as we can, we'll be safe. I want to bring in just one more question here as we wrap up. Uh, Armando asking, will international travelers be allowed to come here if they receive the vaccine in their own country? This is similar to questions that we saw earlier during COVID about testing and how we would deem to qualify what tests fall under the Safe Travels program. Once we get to the vaccine level, how will you make that determination between what vaccines are allowed to be considered exempt from the Safe Travels program that we've established? Amazing question, and, and we've been addressing this. I think international travels will probably be last uh, on these lists to travel. I think uh, the mainland travelers from the, um, you know, CONUS, the continental United States, will come sooner. Uh, but we're all using pretty much the same vaccines, mostly Pfizer, Moderna, and now Johnson Johnson, and soon AstraZeneca are the main vaccines. We have some cautious. Uh, optimism that everyone will be able to vaccinate their countries, but some will be slower than us, for one thing. And also, there is the question of some of these variants. And so I think that international travel from high-risk areas will be later down uh, the timeline on this proposal. I kind of look at, I call this kind of like uh, Operation Vaccination Shield. We put a shield over ourselves by only letting people get vaccinated or having safe travels to come here. Uh, but international travel may be a little later. I don't believe they've seen big surges of any of the dangerous variants in Japan, though, and I'm optimistic about that. But these are kind of more analytical questions for our Department of Health. Overall, we can get out of this COVID crisis in the summertime if people continue to be patient and we continue to vaccinate all that we can. And, and I'll tell you, special shout out to Director Char. She's really been supercharging a lot of this work with her team and General Hara on behalf of the governor. They're making this possible now that the administration is going to cover some of our extra costs with National Guard, give us already a 16% bump in vaccine available and a willing population, we're going to come through this really better than any other state. Just uh, knock wood that we don't have any surprises along the way with the virus. Okay, our time is wrapping up. Um, I did want to ask you one one final question, and that was on Thursday. There was a survey that came out, and and again, this is this is a survey that came out based on people in November and December before people actually started receiving the vaccine in mass. But it did show that fifty percent of Hawaii residents uh, would probably pass on the vaccine if given the opportunity. For the for the picture that you're painting with us being able to have graduations and restaurants and weddings, all of those things. Um, we need to get to that 70, 80%. So what do you say to people who still have some reluctance, who may be part of that half of Hawaii surveyed saying, you know what, I'm going to take a pass or I'm going to wait? I say it's safe. I, I vaccinated uh, myself. I mean, I was vaccinated. 
when I've been giving talks to hospitals, which I do day in and day out, their numbers go from the 50 to 55% vaccine rate to about 75%. Once they know that number one, it's been safe. We only had, I think it was 21 severe allergic attacks out of 1.89 million vaccines given. It's not like it never happens, but just with a little bit of good uh, health history, in other words, if you've had a severe allergic reaction, don't get the vaccine unless your doctor approves it. It can be done totally safely. So I know that we're going to get over 70% of people ultimately vaccinated. The question is just how long will it take? I think that it's normal for people to be reluctant and a little bit suspicious of something that's accelerated like this. That's okay. But I'm willing to continue to speak out on behalf of vaccinations for those who don't have some kind of spiritual or psychological opposition to them. If you really don't want to be vaccinated, don't get vaccinated. No one's going to force you. But for the good of society and humanity, we have to stop these kind of outbreaks. And I think Hawaii will keep leading the way. I know that many of our people get vaccinated once they've heard through the coconut wireless that it was okay. That's how we communicate. That's what we like to do. And so after half the people have been vaccinated and they realize, hey, life is better. They're more free to move around. It's easier to avoid getting sick. Then the next 25% plus will come along come along and be on board. I'm very confident about that. But again, it's not the kind of thing that I or anyone else should force a person to do. If they don't believe in it, that's okay. But ask around, talk to your aunties, talk to your brothers and sisters, talk to your dad, talk to your mom. And if they went through it and they were safe, then consider getting it yourself. All right, Lieutenant Governor Josh Green, uh, a lot of information there on the vaccine. We really appreciate it. We know that there's a lot happening there and we look forward to, as you said, more information to come in the next few uh, weeks uh, about this vaccine rollout and for more availability for the rest of the residents of Hawaii. So thank you so much for taking time this morning. Thanks for having me. Aloha. Wow, Ryan, you know, I, I really had to stop him there when he was laying out that picture looking at May already for the kind of opening that frankly, I did not think would be possible for the rest of this year. But the picture that he is painting of where we could be uh, if we get uh, enough vaccine is, is something more sort of optimistic and positive than I think that I've heard from any leader uh, in recent memory. Yeah. And as he said, these numbers that we're seeing in terms of the people that are getting the vaccine will likely and will go up as the availability comes online, he spoke about Johnson & Johnson and that approval and how that will help with the one shot that is needed with that vaccine. Uh, and so he's confident that as more vaccines become available and uh, able for the state to get out shots into the arms of residents, that he's confident that these numbers and, and the availability to have uh, flexibility in some of these rulings that were put in place will sort of begin to ease up. Yeah, and he did talk about expect an announcement within the next 10 days. It sounds like they're working behind the scenes on modifying the Safe Travels program um, to allow, you know, the proposal that he laid out last week would allow for those who have uh, verified vaccine two weeks out of the second shot to be able to come here and bypass that test. Uh, so he said, expect some modifications to be coming. I know that they're working on that behind the scenes. We'll keep on him for that. He also did mention Dr. Char. We're going to have Dr. Char on on Wednesday. So we know that this audience that we have with us this morning is particularly engaged on the vaccine issue. And we're going to be diving in even deeper with the Department of Health uh, Director Libby Char about her efforts. Um, and also asking because the Department of Health is really where those vaccines are going and they determine who gets what. These questions about neighbor islands and even about you know certain communities here on Oahu, people, I saw one of the comments saying, why are those vaccine centers uh, in downtown, Honolulu, you know, in Honolulu, why are they now not out on the west side and what have you? So we will be talking about uh, equitable distribution with her as well.
and, and beyond just the vaccine, also about where we're at with the virus. We know that there have been, of course, efforts to that have been ramped up with contact tracing, uh, getting an update on where they are with that, what they're noticing about what they're seeing in the community in terms of its spread and how the Department of Health is making and taking efforts to ensure the safety of the residents, especially with talks of these new types of variants that are being found throughout the country. So all that will be coming up on Wednesday with Dr. Char. Yeah, that's right. And then on Friday, we're going to be switching gears. We're going to be focusing on Aloha Stadium. Uh, a lot of changes happening to that community and to the stadium itself. So we'll be talking to two state representatives about what's in store for that area. That's right. Looking forward to that conversation. Again, thank you so much for tuning in and being engaged. A lot of questions and comments that came in this morning always seems to be the case with Lieutenant Governor. And we try to get through as many as we possibly can because we know that all of you are also have a lot of questions about the things that are impacting your families and your community. So we encourage you to continue to share this video, like this uh, platform, and uh, we'll be right back here on Wednesday with Dr. Char at 1030. Aloha. Aloha.